not only did he have a relationship with the government, but he had a mole in the FBI. In this world, you look out for number one. If you, with any people, take that oath to the grave. These guys are on the streets, so they're involved in, in hustling. All right, welcome back into the OG podcast. I'm Scott Bernstein, along with... Jimmy Bucciolato. Jimmy Bucciolato and the venerable Roberto Beauchene behind the glass. And I... Uh, we're very lucky and uh, very appreciative that we're, we're we have a, a Hollywood actor um, coming to to join us on the OG podcast and, and chop up his career. His name is Robert Fanaro. You might know him better as Eugene Pontecorvo on The Sopranos. He's also been in uh, hit movies like American Gangster. He's in the upcoming uh, Martin Scorsese, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino movie, The Irishman. Uh, he's you know just been on a multitude of shows that you probably know. And uh, we're very, very fortunate to have him. Uh, thanks a lot for joining us, Robert. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure, OG. <laughs> yeah, the, we're all OGs here. You're you're an OG actor. We're OG you know uh, mob aficionados and experts, and uh, you know oh, pop yeah. pop culture fiends. And we're all uh, huge fans of your work on on The Sopranos. So, um, Thank wh- you. why don't we talk a little bit and start off with how how, how you get how did you get into acting? Uh, well, I mean, I went to Pace University, uh, a business school, and I lasted half a semester. I wrote some poems on my accounting final, um, that semester. It's New York City, it's in downtown New York on, at City Hall, Pace University, and I failed, and, you know, uh, you know I, I remember my mom asked me, what do you want to do? I, I said, oh, I don't know, maybe I should go into drama, I always liked it. She said, well, why don't you do what you feel? So that's how I, I got into it. I I excelled at it pretty much for another uh, half a year. And then I then I quit college. And uh, But it's, uh, the bug's always been in me. I mean, since my uncle was a director of uh, uh, musicals, he worked for Catholic Charities. He raised money in a big way. Really, some music man. He has some of the writers and the people associated with the shows come to see his, his plays. So I got the bug basically from my uncle. I suppose Father Joe Fanaro, and that's how I began. I always was inside of me, and that's how it began. So then I started studying at various places in New York City, and then I was on and off. I worked with Bobby Lewis from the Group Theater, you know, eventually, and Herbert Virgo in Hagen, and then I I came to work with Win Handling from the American Place Theater. I became an apprentice there, kind of receptionist. Then I fell in and out of acting, and that's how I. That's basically a good view of how I started. You know, and it, it looks like you. You know, from from my uh, memory, uh, you kind of got your start in some of the Law and Order uh, series, right? I got my start through James Gandolfini. What happened was after I started with Bobby Lewis in the group theater, I really was set to you know to, you know to really put my mind to acting. I, I had some life stuff that went on and. I set myself and I met a man from the drama bookstore, which was just saved in New York City by uh, Lee, uh, what's his name, uh, um, Carmen Miranda from uh, from Hamilton. He saved the bookshop there because they were closing it down. They couldn't afford the rent. To make a long story, I met this guy, David Semin, and he he gave me money to go to work with Bobby Lewis, who worked with Kazan. He started the actor studio with Kazan and, um, and uh, a few other people and Strasburg. And then... Um, I landed a play called Streetcar Named Desire, and I played Stanley, and James Gandolfini played Mitch. And we toured 
uh, Scandinavia for three months. And that's uh, from that, uh, many years later, 10, 15 years later, a friend of mine approached Jimmy when he had just been the second season of Sopranos. I said, hey, I know a friend of yours, and if I was you, I'd try to get him a part on your show. My <laughs> <laughs> friend is crazy. You know, he's, um, so, well, well, Jimmy said, well, where's Bobby working? And he told him that I was working at Caroline's. I was managing Caroline's on Broadway, that comedy show. Remember Caroline's Comedy Hour? Yeah. Scott? Yeah. And I'm just, it's a little long story, but it's kind of good, a nice story to tell. And um, James remembered, and then they were casting some roles on season three. And he took his driver, Joe Fay, and he went to about four or five comedy clubs. And he found me at Caroline's. He didn't even remember the comedy clubs. And he found me at Caroline's, and he said, do you want to audition for a role? He asked me if I was having working. I lied. I said, yeah, on and off. <laughs> you got to lie. You got to lie. Make it till you, you, a, fake you, it till you make it. Once in a while, you know. So I auditioned, and um, uh, Georgianne Walken, they liked me. Uh, I, worked, I, I auditioned with Georgianne Walken, and she liked me. And then I went to, I went to the Inquisition, David, and all the writers. It's so, it's so intimidating. And all the people on the show, that was an intimidating thing, but I got on my side, so I landed alone. That's how I got it, through James. We were friends, but we were on, on and off. Not really on, we were more off than on for 10 years. He just remembered me through my friends, and, um, and that's when I started my professional career in 2000, and I've been working ever since. So did you know that it was going to be the part of Eugene, or were you casting for no, a few different uh, roles? Honestly, honestly I, 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 I was cast as uh, Ralph Stafaretto. Wow, <laughs> interesting. That's a great tidbit. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I was uh, cast as Ralph Stafaretto, and um, it just wasn't working out, the chemistry between me and James. And um, they like Joey Pantaleone, and, and Joey tells the story that, and it's true, you know, they wanted him originally, but they didn't want to pay him what he wanted. <laughs> and... Um, they cast me, and, and um, they grayed out my hair. They tried to differentiate me and James. It wasn't really, uh, physically speaking, we were two big guys, and it just wasn't working, the chemistry. So David said, you know, you know I'll give you another shot at it. And he didn't like what he saw, and he said, well, you know, I'm going to keep you on the show. We cast um, uh, um, Joe Pantaleone, and I stayed on the show. It turned out that it was, I think, better for me for my career. Uh, I lasted longer than uh, um, than um, than Joey, um, but I, I was an apprentice in a way. I was kind of green, and I, I learned uh, learned how to really work in film on that through the experience of doing the doing the doing Sopranos. So uh, I had a good run. And in the beginning, they said, "Well, well I said, who is Eugene?" You know, me being the method actor. You know, I wanted all you. Well, we'll make it up as we go along. That's what we do on TV. And they made it up as they went along. I, my big thing was the Snapple bottle, and everyone, you know, it's classically trained in Shakespeare's pre-coming desire to a Snapple bottle, <laughs> everyone remembering by smashing a little Paulie over the head. I said, well, it's got to be a little bit, this is as good as it gets. <laughs> <laughs> well, a actually, if I... Uh, so, uh, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was just going yeah. to say, one of, one of my favorite scenes that you're in... Obviously, we'll talk about the members-only episode, because that was uh, yeah. extraordinary, but... Um, one of my favorite scenes that you're in is it's just priceless, uh, and there's there's no dialogue really between you and Sil uh, Silvio, Stephen Van Zandt, but the Columbus Day 
uh, episode where you're sitting around uh, Satriali's yeah, yeah. and you're blowing your nose. Yeah. <laughs> and the look on Silvio's <laughs> face. I mean, I wish yeah. th- that's just one of the great moments of why that series was so great. I wondered that scene, were you were you two improvising or how, how did that come about? I mean, it's just so perfect. Well, no, it was just, uh, we were just, it was early in the morning, so the sniffles didn't have a, I never found with the sniffles because <laughs> we really worked early in the morning, so it just came about. I felt good about that scene. I, I thought there was a bit of humor in it because, you know, humor doesn't come from the laughter. Humor comes from seriousness. And with Italians, the more serious you are, the more we will ridicule you because you get on our nerves. You know, Jimmy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I, I mean, and it's just perfect. It's also a good um, example of type of uh, prop acting where when you pull out the handkerchief, immediately the focus then goes to you. You know, what is what right. is Eugene doing in this in this scene here? Right. So it's just it was I just love it. It's one of my favorite uh it, it only lasts for a brief moment, but I just yeah. love that exchange between you and uh Steven in that episode. That was a funny scene. I, I thought that was funny. I, I don't know why my, my the way my memory works. I, I, I remember first seeing you on Law and Order before I saw you on Sopranos, but I guess I'm wrong. I guess I saw you on Sopranos and then I saw you on Law and Order. Yeah, you did. Probably did, yeah. Um so Which Law and Order did you say? Uh, I remember seeing you on a couple episodes of... Uh, Along with Jerry Orbach? That yeah. was the first one I did, the Jerry Orbach. I had yeah. a great time. That was a really great, uh, great to work with him. He was such a professional, and, and Jesse, that was like, that was most my favorite. It was the first one I ever did, and it was my favorite, most favorite one. Yeah. So kind of talk about the development of the Gene Pontecorvo character. I mean, I know as the series went on, we learned more about him, and then it all kind of came to a head with members only but before we before we reach members only kind of talk about the 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 the, the three or four seasons that you were on um and, and the development of that character yeah um well he worked for Ralph Sefaretto um and um I think you learn more about him in members in members only but he was one of the made guys made with uh, Michael and um you know, we kind of developed it as we went along. There were, I mean, then, of course, um, you saw that he had a short temper. So it, it was just developed as we went along. A lot of that done in, in television with, you know, they find your personality kind of, you know, not to say that I'm hot-headed like that. I don't really act, behave that way. But, <laughs> I mean, um, I guess it, it, it was great to, 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 to be around everybody and play cards, to play in the casino to find, what's his name, uh, in the bathroom, Gigi Gaston in the bathroom. Oh, right. <laughs> oh that's right. We were that's, talking about that. that. You were, right. you, yeah. you and, uh, was it you and Donnie Kay that finds him? Right. Yeah, yeah. Ray Franza. Uh, Ray Franza. And, uh, so, I mean, it, it really, he developed uh, as, an, you know, uh, as a made guy. He got made with Michael and uh, he started earning. And, um, and you know, of course, he had a hot temper. I mean, when he was with Benny, when uh, Benny got... Uh, Hurt, you know, he just wanted to go to Brooklyn clean some timepieces. Right, I remember uh, that. Uh, so, I mean, you know, he's a man of action, I suppose. So I think more or less the, his, um, for me, like, uh, Neville's only was really, uh, really, in that one episode, to really define who he was, I suppose, you know, inside. That he, you know, I, I guess so, I mean, in terms of the, uh, his trajectory. and I mean, I didn't know it was coming to that, you know. I, yeah, but that's, what happened. So and I was really happy to get that episode because um, 
it's weird how people remember you in, in life because on in your acting roles because um, um, you know I mean I think Brando did said it best. Uh, you know, like you talked about on the waterfront, it was me, Charlie. I could, you know, I could have been somebody. I think everyone looks to Charlie. I mean, um, Terry Malloy says, you know, I could have been somebody. That's why that line was remembered. He, and he, Brenda said that if any other actor did it, they would remembered it too because the writing was so great and the writing on Sopranos was great too. So I mean, you look for memorable things that people will remember. And I was really happy to get members only because he was a guy that really. Um, he wanted to leave. He wanted, how many people want to get out from what they're doing? You know what I mean? And they can't. They're not allowed to, right? And he did. He liberated himself. Although it wasn't, you know, I did it, I mean, to, my, to me it was for my family and also not to rat out on Tony, who was my, we played CYL basketball together. So to me it was more like, okay, I'm going to liberate my family. In the show, it was depicted afterward that I, Michael says he was a, uh, I don't know, it was a mutt or something like that. Uh, but to me, I, I never was no, no, never any question why I did what I did. You know, the memories, the, the book, and, and with all the memories. And uh, to me, it was the only way out to, to uh, you know, for my wife and son, who was a drug addict, a substance abuser. How many times did that come up today with substance abuse? I'm sure you have it there where you're at in Detroit. And we have it here in Staten Island where I'm living there, residing now. So... But yeah, uh, Scott and I were talking before we called you, and we were talking about how that scene and that episode makes you hate Tony Soprano so much because you know right. that that he wouldn't well, I know let for- your character go, and that he was you know if if, if Tony's going to be miser if Tony's miserable in his life, he's got to make sure everyone else is too. That, that, that's that's what I mean. Did David tell you that? <laughs> no, no. Well, I I just for me, I felt like as the show went on, when it when the first when the show first came on, I connected to Tony. I liked Tony. By the end right. of the show, I I disdained Tony Soprano, and I don't know if I'm an outlier in that. Um, part of me felt like David Chase was kind of like almost playing with the audience, trying to trying to see how far he could go and make make Tony such an asshole. Excuse the expression, I, but 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 how, how far can I push it and people will still want to follow it? Yeah, well, I mean that's one way to look at it. You know, I mean, but I think that to get out to 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 to. to you have a $2 million, I mean, he'd love to do it himself, but he can't see anybody else being happy. You know, he just, uh, that's the way he was. I mean, I mean, Tony Soprano, at least, you know. Well, let's back he, up for he's a miserable. He's, he's miserable, so is everybody else going to be miserable, you know. Let, let's just real quick for for the audience that might be a little lost right now. Let's just yeah, kind of okay. let's just set this up for a second. So we've been uh, referencing members only. That's the name of the season six debut. This the season six. Uh, uh, premiere of the sopranos which was the final season um it was a episode that was you know when you're looking back on it um retrospectively it's it's considered one of the signature episodes of the sopranos which a lot of people refer to as the greatest television show um in the history of tv and the and the the star of that episode was robert's gene puente corvo character who was uh, striving to leave the mob and looking for permission from Tony Soprano um, to kind of exit stage left. Um, he inherits uh, $2 million in the first couple minutes stage of the south. show. Stage south. Right. And I'm sorry, Scott. No, it's Florida. okay. Florida. Go ahead. And, and yeah, move down to Florida. 
Um, and uh, it's really Robert's time to shine, and you learn a lot of uh, backstory on his character, and I just think the acting is is so compelling and so gripping um, from a character you didn't get to see a ton of. You see him on the periphery, um, but this was this was really uh, a Robert's opportunity to to show um, the acting chops that he had, and I just, there was so much acting done in that episode with your expressions. Where, where you weren't necessarily saying anything, but you know, you're, you had these pained expressions. I, I thought that just, they, they spoke a, a million words. Yeah, well, thanks. I mean, uh, uh, part of the expression came from the, uh, I mean, it's just like, it's really, uh, it's that, you know, the, the, it's that in itself to have to be the lead in, 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 the, in the show, you know, to, 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 for that particular episode. Uh, was kind of frightening too. So I, I used everything, you know, that I could to, you know, to transcend what I was going through. And I was going through some stuff at the time, so it, it helped. And, you know, the, the real life stuff being on, uh, you know, and, and knowing that, you know, hey, this is probably my last episode, you know. So, I mean, I, I tried to do my best to, to use that um to my advantage, and that's what I think all good actors do. There's, there's something they marry something in their from their lives to their work, and they're able to connect. I think that the problem is sometimes, especially like with Heath Ledger, he wasn't able to disconnect. Um, you know, from when he did the Joker, and then you know, of course, you know what happened to him. You know, and it's important that you try to disconnect, and but uh, it happens. You know. Um, if I can uh, jump in here um, about yeah. the episode, it, it, one thing that strikes me about that episode is um, there's a real class consciousness to that episode, and there are a few moments that come to mind. First of all, the idea that you're not allowed to retire. Another moment is where um, Silvio's character tells Eugene, uh, I wouldn't bother Tony right now because he's on his boat. And then there's also the idea of, uh, Eugene's character and and the, and his wife uh, want some type of social mobility, maybe move to a nicer neighborhood, get their kids into a better school, and they can't do it. And those three things really strike me as about we're talking about class consciousness here, where when you have a class stratification and um, people want more independence, more social mobility, but the economic structure um, sometimes is uh, prohibitive. And so, uh, do you think I'm? I'm. Am I digging too deep? Am I reading too much into that? No, I think everything is is right on point with what you said. You know, it's right on point. I mean, it is. But those to me are the it's most right fa- fascinating. You. Portray- before, you know, you've got, to, you've got to remember about being. A, uh, uh, I mean, I, I, I. It's not an easy life to to do that to kill people. I mean, I'm not just saying, and you know, Jimmy, what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, to live in kind of like um, somewhat hibernation. Look what happened. This guy, that the guy, this guy's friend Callie, on Toad Hill, where I live, he was killed by a, a, a young man who wanted to go to, out with his niece, and he had said no prior to him being killed. And the guy, the kid, was somewhat psychotic, and he went and he, he ran him over, you know. And of course, he didn't know that there were cameras everywhere, and they picked him up and everything. But you know, I'm just saying that. You know, he kind of he he got out of the boat somewhat to say, you know, like in Paco's Stone, never get out of the boat. You know, that's a great scene with uh, 
Martin Sheen, when when they're on the river and everything, and they get out of the boat, there's a fucking tiger. And they fucking (laughs) run back, and they never get out of the boat. So it's the same thing, I mean. It's not an easy life, you know, and I think getting like what you're saying is really on point. There's an economic thing involved with it, and getting away, making it. Florida is a warm place. There's so Stugats, uh, Jimmy's on the Stugats. Uh, Jimmy's enjoying himself while you're, you're, you know, you think that that last kill, you know, Teddy, the Teddy kill is going to liberate you. You know what I mean? That how many times do we, do we project things in life that we say, okay, this is going to make me, you know. It's so catapult me. Well, like even both that you know. Go ahead. Even on film, you know, as an actor, that you you're doing a scene where you have to murder somebody. I mean, yeah. do you get do you get a sense of adrenaline, or I mean, how do you? I mean, that's got to be even. And he, rough had to, to he had to go up to Boston. He had to go up to Boston for that. Hit. <laughs> yeah. He had to drive a little while. Uh, well, you know, I mean, um, it's adrenaline to do it. Uh, you know, but it's more. Acting, and I think you know. And, uh, I guess maybe not thinking about it is, you know, the best thing. That's what you have to do. You know, it's your job. And that that whole conscious thing. I mean, I mean, the drive. I thought was great with the blood on the map and. The blood oh, right. Yeah, the map. After, the after he does the that hit, really he looks yeah. in the he looks in the uh, the rear view mirror of his car, and <laughs> yeah. you can see he has blood oh, on man. his cheek. That's right. And yeah, then I he, thought that was really well. That was some good writing Terry did. You know, the, the blood that you can never get it off you, wow. no matter what. You know, and it's true in a way. I mean, these guys live in hibernation. I mean, I think a lot of associates and people involved. I mean, they're not today, especially they're not out, out as out in the open as they used to be like the days of Nicky Scarfo and, uh, you know, um, especially people from Brooklyn, they're not out in the open anymore, you know? So, yeah, I mean. Uh, another, I think, motif in that episode, but it's throughout the whole series, especially with James Gandolfini's character and him in therapy, but then ultimately uh, the character Eugene um, commits suicide. Uh what kind of takeaways about mental illness do you think that episode we can, um, I mean, what, what does it make you think about mental illness in our society? What can that, that episode, that television series inform us? I mean, I ask that because I teach courses on crime and media, crime and film, and we look at text, we look at films, television shows, and then and try to um, use those, those examples to inform our understanding of psychology, criminology. So what do you think about mental illness? I mean, that, that's obviously at the core of not only the series, but that specific episode. Well, you know, the thing is, with with, with this particular character, um, he was being pressed in on all sides. You know what I'm saying? So I wouldn't say that it's like, I mean, mental illness, I mean, it's a disease and, and it needs to be treated with medications. I mean, I'm just reading about uh, Jimmy... Um, Donnie Hathaway, he was from Detroit, right? Yes. Donnie uh, Hathaway? And uh, Donnie Hathaway is a wonderful singer and, and writer and pianist. And what happened to him, he jumped off the 15th floor of the Essex building in New York. He had gone to a session, and he was on and off his medications. And he was all probably off the medications, talking incoherently. He had to stop the session, the recording session, and went back to his hotel, took the glass, and jumped. I mean, it's a terrible thing. But um, I think his thing, that that's the true mental illness. I think for Eugene, 
I just think that it was this moment in his life that he was cornered on all sides, even with the FBI. Right. You know, what, did you get a rat out of his friend? Like some people say, he, I was a rat. You know, I always tell them, you know, I wasn't a rat because did Jimmy go to jail? Did, I mean, did Tony Spano go to jail because of me? You know, no, I'd rather kill myself than turn him in, liberate my family. You know, I was pushing on all sides, so I'm not a rat. You know, I never considered myself a rat. You know, I mean, I mean, to me at least, you know, as I look at the character. But I think that that, uh, you know, I think that the, the biggest take for me, you know, wasn't really the, I mean, mental health is, is a serious thing. But I really can't expound on it in that situation because of all the pressures that were on him. You know what I mean? Right, it was more of a he social like situation. A depressed, he wasn't like a de- walked around depressed all the time. Right. This is a moment in life he just wanted to free himself and everything fucking, everything felt like a, a building collapsed on him. Yeah. You, you could, know, like you a could collapsed on him. He said, fuck it, I'm jumping. Sure. You know? Yeah, it's more of a social thing than necessarily. Well, you uh, could see as the as the episode went from you know the first couple seconds until the right. to the to the point where he kills himself. You could see this this middle aged man slowly unraveling, and as you say, the walls are closing in from all sides. He's getting it right. from his crime family. He's getting it from his real family. He's getting it. Eventually, you find out that he's uh, supplying or that that he's a, a, a confidential informant for the FBI. You don't know that right. about the character right. until Kurt-o, the. Right, you uh, find out that you know one one uh, uh, rat or one you know informant dies, and then you find out right, that Ricardo, yeah. right, and you and you kind of say it, or the character says in the in the car meeting with the FBI, uh, you know they they, they reference uh, uh, you know we we lost uh, we lost an informant, and and you kind of say, well, w- was it Ray Curdo? Because we had just found out a couple minutes earlier the Ray Curdo character had died, and you kind of put two and two in your head together. Um, right. And, you know, the walls are closing in and, uh, you know, you make a choice that you think maybe is the, the only choice to make. The only the, the only escape um, is to kill yourself. And I also found it interesting the way you ended up killing yourself. I mean, it was yeah. it was a painful suicide. I mean, it took you the character in the in the in the show. I mean, it takes him about 30 seconds uh, to maybe longer to actually kind of choke himself out. Yeah, how do they film that? Does that like that was interesting? You know, I mean, you know, the, it was almost like you wanted. To, it was almost like the character wanted to punish himself. Right. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't. I mean, there was a a, um, a wire, I believe. Right. It was. A, I think it was. I really call it was it a, a wire, like a. a like a co- power a cord or something. Yeah, power cord. Yeah. Because yeah, it's so, in his. I mean, it's in his garage. I had thought about it. I had thought about it. You know what I mean, um, I don't think it was one of those things that I didn't want to act it like my next snap. You see, like you know, like in Swashbucklers, or you see, like uh, in the forties movies, uh, or you see uh, on you see, like you know, the the the, um, the um, it takes a lot to do that. That was more like the biggest thing that I was going through there. You know, before I jumped. You know what I mean? That close-up on my arm, you know, that close-up. And there's like a picture, you're looking at a picture. a lot there, you know, the, the, just the thought to do that. So the thought itself to do it. But I thought that, well, it's not going to be like one, like, um, you know, the the, the, the floor, uh, uh, like in, I think Cold Blood, they, they hang the guys, right? And and, uh, and uh, Robert Blankett's tongue, or whatever, they, the floor drops out. I don't think it was like that. I, I think it was more like, yeah, okay, you, you jump, but then what happens? I mean, you you kind of, that's it, and that, you know, maybe they cut away most times, you know what I mean, he jumps and cuts away, but I guess David 
after seeing it, decided, well, let's, maybe this is more like it really happens. You slowly choke yourself. I mean, what's the first, you know, maybe Eugene, he's trying to, to get out in a way. You know, I mean, it's maybe he changes his mind in a sense, you know, but it's too late, kind of, you know, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, um, and then we rehearsed it outside the Bada Bing. We had a gigantic curtain that was roped around in the, back, in, the, in the parking lot. People would say, what are you doing? Couldn't tell them anything, you know. So and we, 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 they corded the curtain around like a big 20, 10-foot curtain. With, uh, they built it like a scaffold and everything, and we rehearsed it with Pete Bocosi. He was the stunt coordinator. And then they brought in a, a, a brace from California. Uh, they, they shipped it in from California. He put a lot of thought, Pete Bocosi, into this hanging He really wanted to get it right, so... Uh-uh. And, um, did you shoot the episode the other, in the, sequence? The, the, the nerve thing that I did, like, you know, with my arms moving, that's something I came up with. I thought, well, maybe, you know, like when you get shocked. You know, that I've seen it before with in, 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 in men pass away sometimes, you know. that. So I thought I'd, I'd add that in and did a little research on it. So, I mean, I guess that's how I came up with it. And I heard it was one of the longest I've seen in TV. That's yeah, it, it's a. I don't know if they were joking. I don't know if they were joking with me, but I, I think it is probably. I mean, it's a difficult scene to watch for people that are unfamiliar yeah. with it. It's a pretty uh, striking. Well, people call me up. You're seeing that I have saved my life. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Well, uh, it's good to find out. Did you uh, shoot the episode yeah. sequentially, Robert? Yeah. You shoot. Did you shoot the episode sequentially? Like, did you shoot the no, the hanging in episode? Chronological order. We started with we started with the. Um, Silvio scene when he tells me that I'm not gonna um um that it's a no go. Yeah. It's a no go. That was shot first. Okay. Yeah, that scene was shot first. Can can you talk a little bit about when you first found out and this is kind of backtracking a little bit, but when you first found out that you were gonna be the centerpiece of this episode, so it, it, it must have been kind of like a, 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 a mix of emotions. In one sense you're gonna be the centerpiece of the episode, but in the other sense you're you're done with the show. Yeah, it was, uh, we was getting, gearing up for another season, and that, and it starts happening, I think, in October. So, uh, in September, I started getting calls from people, hey, hey, hey uh, in the industry, you know, like actors in the industry, uh, hey, Robert, you know, you, you know you're gonna, you're gonna have a wife on Sopranos, they're casting a wife, and you have a son, and he was things I didn't know, you don't get to see the script, and, Terry, Terry had written it all, and they were passing the show, and I was like, well, that could be really good. You know, I mean, maybe they're opening up my character, or is it going another way? Well, maybe that could be bad, too, I said to myself. That could be the building me up to, uh, to kill me. <laughs> and then, before the season began, I was taking my son to a movie, a film, to see a film, and uh, I got a call in the parking lot from David, and David said... Uh, Hey, Bobby, how you doing? I'm good. Uh, I said, I got some great news for you. And, but I do have some bad news for you. So here I was. I, I knew it was coming. He said, which one do you want first? I said, I'll give you the good news first. <laughs> and he said, well, we've got an episode for you. It's, it's going to be a, a really a wonderful episode for you. You're going to do some great acting. In it. And uh, we've got, got your family and everything. But on the other hand, you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> You're dead. 
I thought the acting that the the uh, actress that played your wife Deanna, I thought she was great in that in that episode as well. She was very good. Uh, yeah, she was she was very good. Uh, Deanna was. So yeah. when we kind of finish off about this episode, uh, the, the last thing I wanted to kind of uh, Susan, touch on Susan, Susan something, uh, forgetting it was <laughs> was the title of the episode, and I think the title kind of um, represents a point that that Jimmy made a couple minutes ago about the episode having some, uh, you know, some of the some of the subtext of the episode being about kind of class structure in the underworld, and you know, you're always hearing and and kind of being um, fed the, the Tony Sopranos, the Michael Corleones, the Tony Montanas. Yeah, look at Donnie Brasco. Look at Donnie Brasco. Right. And Lefty Ruggiero. Right. You know they're, I mean? they're, 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 which is which is which gives the character more that gives the character and gives the storyline I think more texture. Yeah, I uh, think that Marty Scorsese has the best take on everything. You know, when it comes to things like that, you know, you get a chance to see. Well, you see in Goodfellas that he winds up in prison, and you know he's writing, you know, witness protection. It was good for the time it was, but you know, more or less that's your whole life. I just think it's what Phil Leonetti, you know, like we were talking about Nicky Scarfo. I guess yep. that's what he saw. That's why he kind of said, "Hey, you know what? I can't do this thing anymore." You know. But the, the title of the episode is Members Only, and it references yeah. a jacket that you're wearing yeah. in the show. And I think that the, the fact that you're that, that character, it's 2005 or whatever, 2006, and the character's wearing a Members Only jacket, <laughs> isn't that kind of like uh, a reference to the fact that, that he is on a lower rung of the mob um, than, than the Tony Sopranos. Was that kind of, yeah. you think? In- yeah, because James Gandolfini, there's a scene in that same episode where he takes Armani glasses. Right, he like steals them. Right, he steals them, but Armani is different right. than members only. And then and Christopher and the Christopher character is busting balls with the Gene character. Oh, what, you, what is it, 1983? Why are you wearing a members only jacket? <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm guessing yes. that wasn't all coincidence, that that was kind of, a, 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 you know, th- that was playing into that <clears throat> into that subtext by by calling yeah, the episode members only by having you yeah, wear a members a only jacket yeah definitely definitely was a metaphor for the for these guys that uh, it's a, it's a uh, uh, we say it's an elite group not like a seal team you know? <laughs> uh, but uh, they are uh, they are who they are you know? and and, the, and then the, the last thing I'll say is that it was also interesting to me that so the first time we see the Gene Pontecorvo character he's being uh, correct me if i'm wrong but he's being initiated into the mob um and he's alongside the the, the Christopher character they're both being made at the same time but by the time we reach the episode of members only Christopher has ascended and he's a capo and there's the the final scene that you have with Christopher Christopher's giving the Gene character, the contract to go kill the guy in Boston, and it's yeah. like it's been ho- however many years, five, six years, and you've kind of been passed over by a guy that's younger than you, and the Gene character kind of, you know, bites back a little bit and says, well, you know, I don't know if I can do this hit. I got to check it with my captain, and then the Christopher character kind of yells at you. It doesn't kind of, he yells at you yeah. and says, well, well, well I'm t- yeah. it's coming from me. I'm telling you to do it. <laughs> 
And do, right. do you think that was something that the character kind of it crystallized in his head? Like, where am I going? Like, this was a guy that we were on, we were on the same level five or six years ago. Now he's you know a couple stratas ahead of me. Am I ever going to get to that point? I think there's a a scene when you say to your wife, you know, I think there's a good chance I'll make captain eventually. <laughs> it's like yeah. it's like this struggle to get out from underneath it all. Like, even though you're living a, a life that a lot of people might foresee as glamorous, it's really not glamorous at all at the level that you were living in it, the, or the character was living in it. I, I, I agree totally. I totally agree. I mean, uh, again, that scene with Christopher is more like pressure placed on his back, you know, more of that, that cross, you know, that he has to carry, you know, and then he kind of changes it into like, well, maybe this Tony wants you to do this so I can do this one last thing, you know, and, and that's it. You know, but it's not. So I mean, yeah, that's, that's definitely a very good point to me. And even even Tony, who you had, and we find out in the episode that you'd grown up playing CYO basketball with, even him, it's like just to get a meeting with him. It seems like he got to jump through a lot of hoops, and then to get a response back, he got five or six buffers. So it's like this guy that, as a teenager, you guys were kind of on equal footing. You know, that must have been frustrating for the character as well. Like you can't even you can't even get a face to face with this guy to tell you to give you a no. Yeah, I mean that's that's the great thing. I you know I had the pleasure of working with Frankie Valley, and uh, he just told me about Jersey Boys that he was right. You know, I mean we had we had lunch all of us with Stevie, and we all had lunch together. Even we had lunch with the background actors. That's the one thing about Surprise that was great. No one really acted with the egos. It was just a no hierarchy kind of because you get on these sets. It was hierarchy and everything. Everyone was regular people. Everyone would talk to each other. So, you know, Frank, you had to tell me about Jersey Boy, and that became, you know, a big hit. And, and uh, But anyway, I, I think that, uh, yeah, he was hard to, to pinpoint me. I, I guess Tony just didn't want people to, you can't get out, you know. I mean, uh, I mean that's, that was the way it was written. I guess you just can't get out, you know. It was sad. It was really sad. Yeah. You mentioned uh, Martin Scorsese. If we could transition into some of uh, your projects that you're working on now, can you tell us about The Irishman and your participation in that film? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I got the pleasure to, uh, I had the pleasure, I had the pleasure of working with with Martin uh, Marty in um, Vinyl which was a, a, the HBO show about rock and roll. Yeah, me and Roberto are huge fans of vinyl. We were very upset when it got canceled. <laughs> like, almost to the point I wanted to, like, set up a campaign to bring it back. <laughs> a lot of people were, were upset. Everyone really liked it, but uh, they, they, changed, they changed. It was a changing of the guard. Brad Gray had left, and they had the other guy that they hired. And um, I think Mick Jagger, who, who, who basically was a producer on the show, Son was a great guy, Luke, Luke Jagger. He played one of the rock and rollers, you know. Um, it went a little bit not where I think that... I thought it was great. I mean, I really liked it a lot. I mean, I, I don't know why they had this difference of opinion. I thought it was really, really a solid, solid show about the music industry. Look, a lot of people I know in the music industry didn't really like it too much. You know, well, that's not how it happened. But, you know, how could you tell a story that's so vast? You know, I mean, you can never do that. I mean, I mean, it's hard, you know, to tell it, to pinpoint it like the exact way it went down. You know what I mean? Right. That's so, not always compelling. Too many, too many drugs. Bobby Cannavale was just taking too many drugs. Uh, they were using that as a kind of a crutch. 
but they should tell more stories about the music. So, you know, it's, always, it's very, very, music is a very difficult, I guess that's why maybe Marty, he just does the documentaries about the music, like The Last Waltz, because it's better to do it that way, you know. Crossfire <laughs> Hurricane. You're following, you're, you're, yeah, you're, you're, yeah, you're just following the band. But I did like it. I thought it was really good. I don't know why. It, I think I know why. It just was too much with the with the money, I guess, the, and the involvement and everything. And I don't think Marty was too happy either about it. So, I mean, you know, I, I can't understand it. I thought it was a hit. So, so then, okay, uh, fast forward, I got a chance to get cast in The Irishman um, as this character, Johnny. And everybody was like reading for this part. All right, Ray, can you read for Johnny? Oh, I got to read Johnny. Want to see what I can do? Wants to be well. I was the guy that wound up getting the part of Johnny. <laughs> Everyone I talked to, they 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 told me to read Johnny and and uh, just to see who you know, just see you know what I could do. And then, uh, I didn't get Johnny, but maybe they gave me something else. So a lot of people did, but I, I I landed the role. So it was great. You know, I mean, it's not pivotal. It's not members only, but uh, it's great to be part of something. Um, you know, like that. Uh, I mean, a, a film uh, such as that. You know, I mean. Uh, what was the vibe like I, on set? Was it like was there an energy there being part of a Scorsese movie, especially of uh, the kind of hype that's surrounding this—a two hundred million dollar mob movie. It's never been done before. It's got a a, a superstar cast with with Pacino, Pesci, Keitel, De Niro. One thing I must say is that the egos, the egoless thing. Marty has very little ego. Uh, he just wants to, and, and all the actors uh, are good people. All the people that are in Marty's family that he uses from Raging Bull. He, he's a wonderful man and a wonderful director who, who tries to help the people that he's helped before, you know, give them thoughts. I mean, there were guys that um, were, were staying on the set, were not in a honey wagon. They, were in, they had their own, tra- you know, their own things, their own private like um you know a two-banger or, or you know or their own camper i mean and they didn't really do a lot but um, in the film but he treats everyone really nicely and, and i think that's the reason why he gets such great performances because he puts everyone at ease and everyone is at ease with each other and uh, that's the important thing if you're going to get a good acting performance you gotta you know for me with members only uh, I was so tense, tense, you know, with the anxiety of killing myself and what was happening. It worked for me. You know what I mean? So that, I kept myself to there. But in other situations, it could backfire. You know what I mean? That, you know, people are tense, the directors screaming and everything. It's not good. You know, the TV system of, um, of getting in and getting out and just doing it, you know, these are the things that you're, you're up against as an actor. So you've got to take the moment and do the best you can with it. You know, hopefully you can kind of uh, bring out something that people can recognize and say, hey, I, I was there. I, I recognize that. That might help me. You know, you said mental illness for myself, my character. But to me, it was more like the substance abuse of my son. That, you know, that, that left me more, you know, because I've had it in my life. You know, I lost my nephew in uh, July of, of 2018 for substance abuse. My nephew Joseph Massey, you know, I mean, I mean, um, you know, it, it was weird that I had that episode. I looked back at it, and then that happened, you know, in in my in my life. That's to me more of a, a, a epidemic, you know, that somehow we need to do something about it. 
I'll try to. I well, can try to do more too. You know. I think that that's something else that's striking. I I I guess we're. You took back to talking about that episode, but it's such a compelling episode. But yeah, um, uh, you, yeah, always circles around that. Yeah, yeah it, it, no, and it's great, worth talking about. But the the character Eugene, he's this tough guy. He's a gangster. He he actually kills people, and yet within his own household, um, he has a difficult he has a difficult time connecting with his son. His son's not listening yeah. to him. His son has a substance abuse yeah. problem, and I think that's another sort of universal problem. You can be a big shot CEO. You could be a big tough guy, uh, tough woman, uh, big shot, and that doesn't necessarily mean your kids are going to listen to you. <laughs> and yeah. Um, um, that's the truth. yeah, so I think that's another universal takeaway from that yeah. there's, there's that great scene with with him and his son where his son's leaving the house and you you want to know who he's going out with and he you, you find out in that you know little bit of a, a back and forth that he had had a drug problem he says i'm clean and then you kind of you yeah. smacked him no he doesn't he threatens to smack he him. threatens he to smack him I right smack him I, I smashed the candy dish okay right 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 right, right. you're right. so frustrated when he leaves yeah right he threatens right and and so what's what's um uh, you've worked on, I mean, Charlie Mantle, American Gangster, a number of other great projects. What's next for uh, on your on well, your I did itinerary with Jessica Biel? That was a hit show. You know that that was a good one. I mean, I did four episodes of Sinner with Jessica Biel. Right. Uh, you, you see that with uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Jessica Biel and uh, I saw the blue blood. I saw your Blue Bloods uh, story yeah. arc, which yeah, was but, good. Yeah, Sinner's it's popular right now. I haven't seen watched it yet, but I know it's you popular. Should watch it Jimmy, you should watch it because it's a good lesson. I mean, if you really you like criminology, you know, Scott was telling you, you're into that, you teach it, and you, you're a professor. Um, Sinner was a very good, uh, in terms of backstory and what happens and how people behave, it really was a super show with, uh, you know what I mean, with the, with, the, with the cast of characters, you know. I mean, Patty Dobbin-Vell played my wife, and um, I wasn't a gangster in that one. I, I, you know, <laughs> so, Patty was in was The Sopranos happy. as well. Huh? Patty was in The Sopranos. She played uh, yeah. Lorraine, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, she had a, she had a part in the show too. She yeah. played the female the female bookie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. well, you worked on Blue Bloods for a story arc, right? That's what I saw. Yeah, I, I really yeah, that, I really that, enjoyed that. that. With, yeah, yeah, that was a good one. That 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 uh, yeah, that captain yeah, was a good captain. He he wanted to protect the his, uh, the officer, his rookie. I thought that was a good one too. Tom Selleck was a good guy. I forgot your question. Your no, question. I was just asking what, what you're working on now, different projects. All you right, mentioned now this I'm center. working on, okay, I got a, uh, um, uh, um, one-man show that I directed uh, called Space Cookie with a, 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 a stand-up comedian. His name is Mike Buschetti. He's done some work on Audie Lang. He was a regular on the on the Audie Lang show. I don't know if I want to mention Audie Lang. But <laughs> well, we're big we're big guy. Howard Stern oh, fans yeah, here. We so. know. I know Mike Buschetti yeah, for sure. You know Mike Buschetti. Well, <laughs> Mike's got a one man show that I I help write with him. We've wow. been working on it for some years. It's, it's a forty five minute show. It'll be at the Broadway Comedy Club on the day before Memorial Day, May twenty sixth at six p.m. And that's a really funny show. I want to try to get it out there to, to, to maybe in comedy clubs and maybe get it done, done in the theater because he's extremely funny. He's one of the last funny men out there. I mean, like a Costello. His character just drives the show. I mean, no one else could do it for him. It's about his experience in the military. He lasted four weeks in boot camp in the 1980s. And it's his whole trajectory of getting in boot camp, his whole behavior, and then kind of getting kicked out and going home and... 
becoming what he became, a stand-up comedian, a professional stand-up comedian. So that's a lot of fun. And I got a screenplay, which probably won't talk about because you don't want anybody to steal it, but uh, <laughs> it's a fun screenplay. It's a marketable screenplay, I think. And it's about a down-out loser and... Couple of guys. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> okay, that's we'll fine. talk about that. We'll talk. I'll, I'll the next time we got you on, that. sure. Yeah, okay. you, you were that's talking. Like I got going. I mean, you know, I mean, I just keep on working, try to work. I lost my manager to uh, to um, pancreatic cancer, so you know now I'm signing with someone else. So hopefully, yeah, that was a tough. That was a really tough. Um, you know, nineteen years with one guy. You know, helping out, and believing in you. You know, so. so we talked to him earlier. I lost my wife. I lost Jimmy, my good friend. I lost my mentor. I, I was very good friends with Richard Bright from uh, you know, from the Godfather. Yeah, Richard Bright. He was a mentor for me for like two years, and he got hit by a bus. And he did. Jeez, wow. I didn't know that. On Boston Eighty Sixth Street. Yeah, he plays Al. Ne- he plays Al Neary, right? Yes, and he wow. was in, in the Godfather, Getaway, and a lot of great films, a lot of great theater. You know, so. he was actually in an episode of The Sopranos as well. I'm such a geek. Yes, I know was. that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just so funny. The guy has a great body of work, but everybody remembers you from Sopranos. That's just the way it is. Yeah. You, can't, you can't fight it. Man. Well, when I saw him on The Sopranos, I was like, oh, that's the guy from The Godfather. There you go. So what, what happens at this, uh, we were talking earlier about Sopranos the Con. Soprano Con. The Soprano Con, oh yeah, that's in November at the Meadowlands. I think it's the end of November, and they got me, uh, Fiorio, they got Jason Sabone. Jackie going to be there. They, I think Maureen Van Dantzine is coming on board. Um, um, they got a lot of the uh, different... Oh, uh, Richie April is going to be on. Uh, David Preval, wonderful actor, of course. Um, it's a fellow Pastor. Jew like myself. I always thought he was Italian. I found out he was Jewish. <laughs> David? David yeah. Preval, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love, I love him, obviously, as Richie April, but I, I, yeah, I'm a huge fan of the, of the movie Mean Streets. It's probably my favorite uh, Scorsese movie. On, he, was, he was great in that. Yeah, he's he awesome. Was, he was really himself. Yeah. He's also in Shawshank Redemption. Oh, yeah. Love that film. Love his work. In yeah. So, you know, that, that's the final con is in, in November. Yeah, so we'll see what happens with it. You know? Well, we I, mean, I think a lot of people are going to come out. Hopefully, yeah, it sounds really fun. Actually. This was all, this was amazing, Robert. Uh, I hope I hope the next time I, I I talk to you, I can call you Bobby. We can be a little less Bobby. formal. <laughs> but this was this was great. We got so much great insight, and uh, having someone like yourself on and and being able to open up to us and and, and tell the story of, of your life as an actor and and all your experiences. This was just just invaluable, and uh, we just want to thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you too, Scott, and Jimmy, and Roberto. Thank you too. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank the you, two Robert. Italians and a Jew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that should have been the name of the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. That should be the name of the show. Two Italians and a Jew. <laughs> Thank All you, right. Robert. We really appreciate it. And uh, check out uh, Robert Fennaro at S- Sopranos Con. Check out his one-man show, Space Cookie. And uh, obviously, you know, you, you can get him. Uh, you you want to you, you want to shout out your your social media? Yeah, Facebook, Facebook. You can friend me on Facebook. You know, I mean, I'm 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 always uh, uh, there, make myself available to people who want to talk about the show and stuff like that. And you know, so uh, Instagram and Facebook. All right, I, all I right. Just, I can't get to Twitter. I can't do all three. Just, yeah. <laughs> That's too much. We understand. All right, thanks, Robert. It's been it's it's been all a right. pleasure.